0: Death is what we're talking about today, aren't you glad you made it through the snow? Death is the last taboo in American culture. It really is. I mean, it used to be sex, used to be you couldn't talk about sex. You can get sex, talk about sex, see sex everywhere in American culture today, but death, death is another subject. You're not supposed to talk about it, you're not supposed to see it. Death is supposed to be something removed, it's taboo. In fact, there was an art exhibit a couple of years ago. and. Um, the art exhibit was this. They they were wanting to display portraits of parents and their children that had been taken in the 1870s. There was a catch. The children in the photographs were corpses. See, when photography was new in the 1860s and 1870s, Uh, child mortality rates were huge. I mean, you get whooping cough, you get any number of things and you could die as as a six-year-old, eight-year-old, ten-year-old. And so when photography was new, if your child died, it was very common for the wealthy to call, you know, send word to the photographer to meet them at their home or go to the photographer's studio and for you to dress up your dead child and have a picture taken. All of you look revulsed right now, and that's exactly what played out. New York City and Washington D.C. banned the exhibit. Liberals couldn't take death. I love it. It was awesome because it it explored the last taboo, which is why there are so many euphemisms about death. Anything that's taboo is going to have all kinds of different words for it, right? Which is why there's so many different words for sex, and there's so many different words for death. I mean, think about it. Oh, Billy got his wings. Yep, went Dave went belly up. Uh, John, poor John, last out time on the ocean, went to visit Davy Jones' locker. She passed away. He kicked the bucket. My personal favorite, Chris has gone into the fertilizer business. <laughs> he made his final curtain call. They're six feet under. Cassie bought the farm. And then, and then there are all these words and euphemisms for killing people, right? Uh, uh, snuffed, bumped off, terminated, rubbed out, whacked. And I love the one pushing daisies. Yep. She's pushing daisies. It's a TV show now. Go figure. All right. Pushing daisies. Death is not something that you're supposed to talk about in America, let alone something that you're supposed to see. In America, we have institutionalized death. Death is something that happens in a hospice care unit or a hospital or a morgue or a funeral home. Get it away from us is is kind of our attitude about death. My mom in the 1950s, got a first-hand look at it. See, back in 1950s America, life was a little different than it is today. And so Mom, as a kid in 1950s America, went to visit Grandma and Grandpa Ravino. And they were going to have chicken for dinner that night. (laughs) You know where this is going. So Grandpa Ravino grabbed a chicken from the chicken coop by the head, carried it over to the stump, put the chicken down, took out a little small axe, and with one swing, dispatched the chicken. Only he had a... Hold of the chicken's head the body plopped down and started running blood squirting everywhere my mom was so traumatized that she did not eat dinner and she didn't eat chicken for a long time <laughs> today if there's a possum or a squirrel or a skunk that's dead in the middle of the road what do you do boop, 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 you call the highway department you call the Jessamine County Road Department and they'll come with a machine or some shovels, guys in the shovels, and they'll scoop it and take it away so that it's not in the road anymore, all right? Despite all these efforts not to talk about death, despite all these efforts for us not to see death, death is still going pretty strong, don't you think? <laughs> I mean, despite all of our attempts to kind of keep it at bay and not talk about it and not see it, I mean, death is going pretty strong, I mean politicians and pastors love to throw out statistics, right? You know, like like half of all marriages in America end in divorce, you know, 50%. You're like, whoa, one in two chance. I shouldn't get married. Should I get married? I mean, have you heard what the mortality rate is? Do you know? What is the mortality rate? Ah! What? One out of every one person will die. Come on, let's be honest. If you were to get on a plane and the captain were to come on, Oh we want to welcome you to American Airlines. Flight twenty seven forty three to nonstop service to Las Vegas. FAA regulations require us to inform you that this plane will crash in a fiery death burneth to the planet, killing all passengers on board. Thank you again for flying American I mean you would go the I mean you would get off the plane, wouldn't you? If there was a one in one chance that the plane was gonna explode and crash, would you get on the plane? Come on, generations people, you're smart people. If there was a one-in-one chance that the plane was going to crash, would you get on that plane? No. No. The only problem with that when it comes to death is that you and I don't get a choice, do we? We don't get a choice about when we're born or where, and we most of the time don't get a choice about when we die. In fact, 6,319 people die on planet Earth every hour. In this hour, while we're here, in this worship service, over 6,000 people will pass away. All right? I want you to take a moment, and I want you to think back, for, uh, think back to your first encounter with death. Who in your life died? Who was the first person in your life to die? Who was that person? I got some pictures I want to show you. And no, they're not the creepy kind, all right? (laughs) Okay, the first person to die in my life was Samuel M. Vanderpool, Max Vanderpool. Grandpa, Grandpa is what I called him. And in the first picture, this is how I always remember seeing Grandpa. And yes, it's in black and white for a reason. Okay, so... There he is, shirtless, and that's how I remember Grandpa. Anytime it was warm, April to October, he was out in his garden working, and he never put a shirt on. I know some of you are like, oh, please, disgusting, man flabs, oh, okay, so, but that was Grandpa. And so you go to the next picture, one of his favorite things to do there, at least he's got a wife beater on, thank the goodness, okay. And his, one of his favorite things was to have us hunt for, uh, man, a beehive, look at that, woo, scary, okay. <laughs> one of his favorite things to do is have us to hunt for um, money that he had hidden in Easter eggs on Easter. So that's one of our family Easter egg hunts at uh, Grandpa and Grandma's house in Jonesboro, Indiana. Go to the next picture, and we'll keep that last one up for a while. There they are, and yes, that is my mom doing rabbit ears over my cousin Greg, so, if you ever wonder if my mom has a sense of humor, there it is right there, captured in film, okay but there's Grandpa up in the back and in 1980, in nineteen eighty in nineteen eighty, Grandpa had a stroke, he had a stroke, and he was in the hospital for six weeks and I remember my dad giving my brother and I reports about every you know three or four days. well, you know, Grandpa stood up in bed today or um you know Grandpa was trying to speak, but you know he's having a hard time forming words he can because the stroke you know messed up part of his face and his mouth, and he can't form words really well, you know, but he's trying, and uh, we would get these updates, but we weren't allowed to go visit him in the hospital. And I remember it was a Saturday morning, clear as day. Brent and I were, you know, on the couch in the family room, and it was, you know, conjunction, junction, what's your function? I mean, it was Saturday morning, okay, in America, 1970s America, it's a Saturday morning. Dad comes in, sits down, turns, on the tele- turns off the television, sits in front of us, looks us in the eye and goes, I gotta tell you, Last night, Grandpa died. And I remember that feeling of just like somebody had gut-punched me. And that was my first encounter with death. And I remember the f- going to the funeral home for the first time, and you're seeing this dead body in a casket, you know, with the half part of it open, part of it closed. Isn't it weird what Americans do, you know, when people go up to the casket, or they're talking in the funeral parlor, and they're like, she just looks, looks like herself. Man, he looks, the, you know, they did a good job. He looks like himself. And I'm always thinking, so are you saying that like she looked like a walking corpse her whole life? I mean, you know, he's saying, I don't, I don't, I don't I never know how to take that. But, but there he was in, in the casket. And I remember my cousin Mike going up to the casket and putting his arms, his hands on either side of it and literally staring at Grandpa for like three or four minutes. I mean, it was creepy what he did. But that was my first exposure with death. At Generations, we don't have a lot of funerals. We don't. This is a young church. In eight years, we've had two church funerals. One was Angel and Seth's mother, and the other was my father. That's it. That's the only church funerals we've had at Generations Community Church. This is a young church. I mean, there's not a lot of us dying on a regular basis And so we're even further removed from death. On Monday, I I had a get-together with three other pastors, two of them disciples of Christ pastors. One of them is a Presbyterian minister, and they were talking about their Januaries. Each of them had already done two or three funerals apiece in January. And here it is at Generations, and we've had two in eight years Sometimes we'll joke about having an exchange program. I'll say, like, you know, I'll give you some young people if you'll give me some old people. And I'm just joking. But, you know, now I'm like, the people you're going to send, are they still living? Because, you know, I'm not into zombies and, you know, we can't do that. And so I say all that to say this, death sucks. Now, see, if there were old people here, that would have gotten an amen right there. I would have said death sucks and somebody, amen, I'm not dead yet preach it (laughs) okay death absolutely sucks because death gets everyone and today i want to share some important things about what the bible has to say about death and i find it just absolutely weird and ironic that as a pastor i would be preaching on of all things death but you know because 150 years ago if if i had said to a, a group of americans you know on on the Lord's Day, on this coming Sabbath, I'm going to preach on death, they'd look at me like, what, are you crazy? Yeah, we're you know, because it was such an everyday part of life. But for us today, we're so far removed from it that I want you to know some things that are true about death that God tells us through the Bible. And the first thing is really simple. Death is certain. We kind of already covered this with the mortality rate, right? The mortality rate is what? A hundred percent. Yeah. David, King David puts it this way in 1 Kings, I am going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage and be a man. He's saying this to his son Solomon. So if you ever wonder if be a man's in the Bible, yes it is. I'll give you the reference after church, okay? (laughs) I'm going where everyone on earth must someday go. Death is certain, okay? Hebrews nine twenty seven puts it this way, and here's one of the passages that we're going to be in today. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says. I'm going to get that scripture up there. Hebrews nine twenty seven, and just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes the judgment. In other words, there's an appointment in a calendar. I have a Windows Phone that syncs with Google somehow, and blah blah, blah so I can access my calendar everywhere. And I've got appointments all the time. And even though I can't see it, even though I'm not aware of it, there's actually an appointment that God knows I don't that's the day I'm going to die. It's there, it's set, and God has set that day. For me, that's kind of, on the one hand, a little unsettling. On the other hand, kind of comforting. Just kind of this weird mix of both. By the way, if you've never heard this, you need to know, the reason there's death is because of something else. The Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death. Death entered the world because people decided to thumb their nose at God and do what they wanted to do anyway, irregardless, and they rebelled. And all of us have done the same thing. And so the reason that there's death is because sin entered the world. And because sin entered the world, death entered the human race. And so that's why I think there's this part of you elsewhere in the Bible, in Ecclesiastes, God says that he put eternity in men's hearts and women's hearts. There's this part of you and part of me when it comes to death that's like, no! That's the God thing, that's the image of God thing in us, that we're not designed, we're not supposed to kick the bucket. We're supposed to keep going, all right? So the first thing I want you to know is that death is certain. The second thing I want you to know is that at death, your body and your soul separate. I don't know if you're aware of this, but you're a two-part thing, body and soul. People today might call it self and consciousness or, or, or body and self. But, but, but body and soul, uh, you know, material, immaterial, you're two parts. And we could get into a conversation, is it two or three? You know, talk to me later, we'll have coffee. But two parts, okay? Two parts. Why is that important? Because when you die, you are temporarily, and that's an important thing, temporarily separated from your body. The Bible teaches that there's going to be a day of the resurrection when we're, you know, all the dead are put back and their bodies are made new. All right? But until that time, there's this temporary thing, and don't ask me how it works, and there's all kinds of theories and opinions based on what the Bible says but you're separated temporarily from your body. And why do I think that? Because when, I get, when push comes to shove and I'm like, well, how does this work? I always ask myself, does Jesus have anything to say about this? I mean, because, you know, if there's anything about the afterlife or anything about how heaven or hell or, you know, God stuff might, you know, work out, if Jesus says something about it, I'm keenly interested because that guy was God, all right. So if he says something, I'm like, Really? Really? Tell me more. Really? Okay? So, and believe it or not, he does. Luke 16, Jesus tells a story that is about death, after death. All right? And this is the story he tells Luke chapter 16. And we're going to start in verse 19. Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. Lucky dog. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus. Who was covered with sores? As Lazarus lay there, longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. So here you got a rich man and a poor man. These are the two men in the story, right? 22 and following are what happened to them. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. So they die, their bodies are put in the ground, they're temporarily separated. So there's some kind of consciousness, awareness, yourself, the true self, your soul is there, existing. And there's the with Abraham side, and there's the not with Abraham side. And the word used there is torment, which... No matter how you come out on things, that's not a positive word, okay? It's just not a happy word. So that's what we learn in this part. And then he goes on, verse 24 and following. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue. I'm anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted. And Lazarus had nothing. And so now he's being comforted here. And you're in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, send them to my father's home. I have five brothers and I want to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, if someone had sent them from the dead, they'd repent of their sins and turn to God. Probably be very freaked out, right, you know, okay, but Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen, even if someone rises from the dead, Jesus is telling a story, is he meant to lay out literal? is he intending to lay out literally what's going on in the, in the intermediate or immediate afterlife part things, I don't know, but I, I know that what I'm seeing and reading in this passage, right, there's two parts, There's a good part and a not so good part. And there seems to be this uh, thing playing out with what he's saying where once you're on the other side, if you're in this part, you can't move over there, and if you're in this part, you can't move over there. There seems to be some kind of permanence about your position, all right? So one, death is certain, two, at death, your soul and body separate temporarily. And we'll cover in the next couple of weeks what happens after that, all right? But three, you'll face judgment. The Bible has so much to say about judgment. It's weird. As a pastor, I've been going at this a long time. I've never preached on judgment. It's not very popular and and uplifting, you know, because I want you to have a good life now. But it's in there in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It comes up a lot. And believe it or not, Jesus, the nice guy, Jesus, the guy that was friend of sinners, Jesus, the guy that healed the lame, you know, made the blind see, I mean, the good guy, Jesus, he talked a lot about judgment. And so what does the Bible say? Well, let's go back to Hebrews 9, this passage, Hebrews 9, verse 27 and 28. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. So also... Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly await him. 27 is kind of the drag part. Verse 27 is, you're going to die, and it gets worse from there, you're going to be judged. So that's like a double whammy. That's like having the IRS call you and say, we flagged your return, and... There's an error, and you owe, plus a penalty. I mean, it's kind of like a, oh, okay? So death and judgment, right? So that's the first part. But the the second part, verse 28, that's the good news for those who believe. And so let's unpack this verse 28 a little bit. So Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to what? Take away the sins of many people. What causes death? sin, and Christ in his sacrifice is taking away the sins of many people. The Bible talks about it in terms of being justified, being made right with God. And, and uh, So Christ's death accomplished something significant. And so when Christ comes again to deal with the believer, it's not to deal with sin because that's already been dealt with by his action, death, and, and, and resurrection from the cross alright Jesus when he comes again for the believer comes to bring salvation let's keep that verse up there please I want to unpack several things about it so Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people when he comes again not to deal with our sins but to bring what if you are a believer when it comes to death when it comes to the second coming of Christ when it comes to judgment you don't need to be afraid Because the moment you put your confidence in what Jesus Christ did for you, he took away your sins. And when he comes again for you, it's not to deal with your sin or put your face in it and say, see what you did wrong? See how you disappointed me? See how you didn't live up? No, because it's been taken away. You've been made right with God. No, he comes to bring salvation. A better word for that in this context is rescue. Death. Is not something for the believer to fear, but it's something that will bring salvation. All who are eagerly awaiting for him. And if I could kind of condense it in in a little point, you know, the Bible talks about believing faith. It talks about justification. It talks about being saved. If I could condense it and make it as simple as possible, it's when... It's that tipping point. Sometimes for some people it's a process. Sometimes for people it's a point in time. But it's this tipping point in your life where you embrace what God did through his son, Jesus Christ. And this being right with God stuff has nothing to do with you. has everything to do with what Jesus did. And so your confidence, your weight, your faith isn't in anything you have, anything you do. It's in what he did. So that if God were to kind of show up and look you square in the eyes and you were doing this thing, you'd be like, no, 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 don't look at me. Don't look at what I did. Look at what Jesus did. Look at him. He's the only reason I can stand in your presence. That kind of confidence the Bible talks about his saving faith. And for those who have it, you can eagerly await Jesus' return and you don't have to fear or worry about death. All right? And we're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks, Can we're talk about hell and heaven and judgment. I mean, it's, we're going to weigh into some big stuff. Right? So from today, what are the things I want you to know from the Bible? Death is certain. I already knew that, Max. See, you're so educated, and you knew already. You didn't even need me to tell you that. Death is certain. At death, your body and soul temporarily separate, and after death comes judgment. In light of these things, let me ask some questions. Have you ever thought about your own death? I mean, have you ever thought about it? The older you are, the more likely that is, right? Does it scare you or wig you out at all? What if it was possible not to be afraid of death? What if it was possible to be confident in God's ability to rescue you? What would that be like? Think back to the last six days. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. What, were the, what was the stuff that you were thinking? What are the things that you did? Were they you focused or you absorbed, or were they other-focused? And if Jesus were to say anything about the last six days of your life, what do you think he would say to you? About where money went or time went. Um, when I was the executive pastor at Church of the Savior from time to time, when it came to budget review time, they, they would try to cut the, the $600 a month that went to Gospel for Asia Pastors. And I would fight it every time. I'd be like, no, you can cut my salary, you can do anything, but we're not going to touch that. Because these little guys from like Vietnam and Thailand and all over the South Pacific, the uh, Pacific Rim rather, uh, for $600 a month, I don't know how many of, it, how many of them it supported. But they would go to village to village, sometimes with the Jesus film, sometimes not with the Jesus film, and tell people about the gospel. Thousands upon thousands of people would respond and say, yes. They would say yes to Jesus Christ. And I'm convinced that when I get to heaven, I'm going to run into these little guys from the Pacific Rim are going to come up to me and go, "Are are you the administrative pastor at Church of the Savior? Yeah. Thank you they are like, no, it's no big deal. Six hundred a month. There's like nothing. Da, 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 and they're gonna, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm here today because somebody came to my village and da-da-da-da. Thank you. Thank you. Right? So in the last six days, what part of that has been going on in your life? And then another question, what what do you spend the most what do you spend most of your time thinking about or worrying about in life? And if you could project ahead and think of what it might be like to be on the other side of death, is it likely you will look back and go, that was dumb, right? Okay, I mean, let me ask that again. What do you spend most of your time thinking about and worrying about and when you're on the other side of the death, other side of death, do you think it's likely you'll look back at the you of now and go, that was dumb, What what was I worrying about that for? What was I fretting all over that stuff for? Silly. Samuel Johnson, in 1777, at the height of the Revolutionary War, wrote this. Depend upon it, sir, when a man knows he is to be hanged in a fortnight, it concentrates his mind wonderfully. Depend upon it, sir, when a man knows he is to be hanged in a fortnight, it concentrates his mind wonderfully. What's he saying? When you know you're going to die, it brings out really clear focus. (laughs) How many people do you know and they've gotten a cancer diagnosis and all of a sudden it's like they upend their life. And they're like, oh, all this stuff, totally not important. All this stuff over here, mega important. Why wait to that moment? Why wait? Because, right, we talked about it. There's an appointment in your calendar and in my calendar. We just don't know when it is. We don't know. But why would, you, why would you go through your whole life and not live as though there is that appointment? Because it's there anyway, all right? Psalm 90 puts it this way. Teach us to number our days that we, we may get a heart of wisdom, all right? So in light of all of this stuff, the big question that I would pose to you, team generations, is why wait? Live now live well now live wisely now live as though god is real now i mean think about it come on let's be honest about america and americans americans we we go about our lives as though god is not real and as though the stuff that's contained in the bible probably isn't true i mean really come on don't we We blur through life with all these values and things that we think are important and da 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 -da that don't exactly always line up in here. Why would we do that? If God really is real and the stuff about Jesus Christ really is true, then leveraging your life along those lines is not something you'll regret. In fact, it's something when you get on the other side and Jesus himself is saying things to you like, hey, thank you, good job. I mean, there's going to be this part of you that's like, no, come on, really, it was no big deal. You know, I, I can think back to the time when Jenny and I volunteered uh, to do teenagers at Church of the Savior. And be like, they smelled, yes, but okay, sorry, teenagers. But, you know, th- I would be this, no, it was no big deal. It was, it was Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, and we just showed up, and, you know, we just loved them, and we tried to teach them about the Bible, and da-da-da-da, and no, 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 thank you. Okay, so live well is what I'm saying in light of the fact that You've got an appointment, and I've got an appointment. And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to unpack some things about hell and heaven and judgment and afterlife that hopefully for you and for me will kind of cement and clarify some things so that we don't live silly lives. And Why live a silly life? Live a wise life, a life that's well-lived, a life that at the end of the day causes your master and my master, the King of Kings, to smile and say, good job. Let me pray for us. God, at Generations Community Church, I ask again, help us in the next 10 years to serve and love this community so much so that God forbid if a nuclear blast would well, be smaller than that, like a bomb were to go off and like, kill off Generations Community Church, the city would weep. Help us to live for our master, Jesus. We want to hear good job at the end of it. Thank you that our days are appointed. We trust you to rescue us at the right time. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.